Good afternoon, Bowers listeners. My name is Travis Stowe, your host of the Bowers Podcast, and you're listening to episode 44. The rut is approaching and things are starting to happen. The weather in some areas are starting to cool off and others not so much, but for the everyone that's getting ready for the rut, you're probably getting pretty excited, right? I am. Now, a lot of you have different types of techniques that you bring out to the woods, tools that you think are going to ensure to pull that buck in so you have a really clean shot, right? There are some that don't. They just buy something and then they hope to God it works. And for years, I honestly, I can say I was one of those guys. I would get out in the woods and I would do grunt calls. I would do doe bleats and hope that something comes out. And well, what we decided to do in this episode is that we brought on a guest. His name is Travis Johnson, and he was able to perform a few types of calls that you might be able to do while out in the field. Now, this is not the only way. This is just a way that Travis chooses to do when he's out in the field, and it's been effective for himself. You have to learn your way that works best. These are tools that you can use. This is his personal way of doing things. Maybe you can learn from him and utilize it into something that you do, and uh, maybe you'll be successful. So we won't take too long because it's a really good episode. I hope you enjoy it. Now, real quick, there was some technical difficulties. Unfortunately, for some reason, at the very beginning, when we originally spoke or brought Travis on the line, I had the recorder started, and ironically, it stopped. And we were probably talking for a good, I don't know, five minutes or so, getting to know each other. And sure enough, I realized, luckily, that the recorder did stop. So I had to restart it, but we were already in the mix of conversation. So there's a gap of the introduction. There's a gap of a little bit of what we were talking about. You're pretty much going right into a conversation midway in. The middle of the conversation is we were just talking about the ATA and how much fun we had our last time and how we're going to be going into it again this year. Sorry about that. Just understand that there are a few things like that. Near the end, we actually had more technical difficulties. We had a cellular die, which was Travis's phone. His battery died out and we finally got him back on, but it was just, you know, we had a little bit of a glitch near the end. The information's still great. I hope you enjoy it. It's really weird saying Travis, seeing how my name is Travis, but the guest is Travis Johnson. It's going to be a great episode. Let's get it going. Is of nothing but fun and talking and mean some really cool people so i'm i'm looking forward to it again this year oh yeah well you know that's a place like that's when you find out just how small this huge industry is because you know to walk in the floor like that you everybody knows everybody mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah it's, it's a tight-knit you know it's almost uh it's almost cultish it is but right there, there's always that you know one two or you know three couple products that no one's ever seen no one even knows who the guy is and he shows up with some product that just blows everyone away and they go holy crap how did no one ever think of this before and it's it's fun oh. to see just the the people are forward thinking and they're starting to develop stuff that's just common sense and why didn't someone think of it think of it <laughs> right you know, I get that a lot. Um, I, that's one thing I like going up there for is just being able to see, you know, what are they going to come up with next? Even the big, even the bigger companies, what are they mm-hmm. going to come up with? Because how can you improve off of this? 
Oh absolutely. yeah, absolutely, absolutely, man. Especially, the, especially with archery, it's like, how are you going to make this any better? <laughs> which, which is hysterical to think about because look where we're at now. So you know, go back, you know, hundreds of years, and someone's like, hey, I got a, I got a stick with a string, and then another stick that I'm going to shoot through, and they're like, this is amazing. How do you make this any better? And then now we have wheels, and we sh- when, and we shoot 340 feet a second. <laughs> <laughs> I would still be happy if mine could ever get to that speed. No. <laughs> I'm still shooting like 280. Uh, hey, well, you, look, you, got a bow, if you got a bow that's shooting 280 feet per second, and that's with an arrow that you're hunting with, like you're set up and you shoot at a deer and that arrow's moving 280 feet per second, that bow is smoking. Oh, yeah. It gets the job because done. Because one thing people don't know is that when they test the bows at 350 you know they say it'll shoot 350 feet per second well that's, that's a loaded pounds. arrow and that is a arrow that is a full length arrow with no fletchings no knock no insert mm-hmm. get oh, down yeah. to the bare brass minimum so, yeah of course of course two feet out of the bow we're going to achieve 350 feet per second as soon as you add inserts and knocks and fletchings and broadheads and everything else to it and cut it down to like i shoot 27 inch draw length and I'm shooting 286 feet per second. I tested my bow earlier today. Man, that is that's phenomenal for 27 inches. That's the best bow I've ever shot. What what's your arrow setup? Because so it's I, I battled the same thing. I have I have a 28 inch draw, so I, I run into the same thing of and I I got over the speed thing a while ago, and I kind of went more into the momentum and 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 impact side of it. But what are you shooting for your arrow setup to get get you to 280? I'm shooting a, uh, it's just a correct spined arrow for my draw weight and everything, mm-hmm. uh, which, which I mean, obviously you got to do that, but it's the lightest grain arrow that I can find that shooting that, uh, I shoot a hundred grain heads and, uh, the blazer veins. I'm, I'm not doing anything you know special with the arrows. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that the, the bow's doing all the work nice so travis again i do appreciate you coming online i think this is going to be a great episode the focus of what we're going to talk about are really more about game calls and different tactics that someone can possibly use and i believe having some of the perspectives of what you've used that has been successful for you i think it's going to make it a great show okay yeah y'all just kind of guide me where you want to go um i'm pretty quick i'm pretty quick on the fly so (laughs) there you go there's no telling what rabbit hole I'm going to chase down, but we'll we'll figure something out. Hey, and you know, here's the key thing. You have information that we would love to find out. We'd love to share it with our audience. And if there's rabbit holes that you jump in, even if it's six or seven rabbit holes deep, it's still going to be a pretty good episode because the information you're providing, there's nuggets in there. There is information people can use. Myself, Scott, and the people that are listening. You know, The thing is that we, we've always thought that we'll have a podcast that goes about 30 minutes long. That was the initial goal. And it seems to be that every time we do speak with someone, and it's always been best, we just let it go. We let it go as however long it takes. And sometimes it's 45 minutes, an hour, two hours long. And all the best information seems to come more towards the end because we've kind of gotten into the, the mix of things. And it's great. And so, again, any type of rabbit hole we jump into, I still think it's going to be great. Let's start jumping down the rabbit holes. So kind of give us an idea, Travis. How did you get started in the industry? And what are you doing now? And you know, what's some of the passions that make you want to be a part of this? I can do a 30-minute podcast just on that. <laughs> Man, hey, up, hey, let's go got, for it <laughs> so you know who are you where did you start and where did you come from uh so basically uh how it all how it all started was 
four years old, and yeah, I was fortunate enough to be born uh, to a family that had a grandfather like O'Neill Williams. I mean, how do you not Great get guy. into how do you not get into the industry? You know, with a grandfather like that. So yeah, four years old, did my first uh, fishing show with him. Uh, progressed from there. You know, a couple fishing shows a year. Got up into my you know early teen years. I started doing a lot of hunting shows with him, and then. Uh, basically just became a you know it became a full-time job i was good on camera which a lot of people don't understand that you know that's a little bit harder than you think you know everybody thinks oh yeah i could do that well that camera <laughs> red light comes on you know things change real fast real quick and so we uh started doing that and then now um, i co-host o'neill outside and co-host the bucket list on sportsman's channel o'neill outside's on pursuit channel and basically yeah and i do more than i'm not just going out hunting you know for a living i basically i do everything from i do a little bit of editing i do i go on the sales calls you know meet with sponsors uh the obviously you've been to ata and shot show you know how those are uh it's meetings all day oh yeah in the booths and everything else so we're having fun doing it uh, but it, I mean, it is a job, and I'm just fortunate enough. And it's fortunate enough that it was. I don't just do it because my granddaddy does it, and it is an easy job to have. It's a, uh, it's really a passion to me to be able to help other people, you know, learn like, like what we're doing here. Uh, help other people learn techniques and strategies and how to do stuff and and it's not all the time you know not everything that i do is going to work for somebody else um, everybody has their little tricks and then i got a few things that i'm not going to tell anybody about because i don't want <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh just being just being in the woods you know that's uh you know god's creation being out there and seeing you know it's not always about killing something just being able to see you know see the sun come up over a soybean field in northern missouri you know it's pretty cool and a lot of people i feel like a lot of people miss out on that and so by the tv show and by the radio show and doing stuff like this with y'all i get to share that with everybody else you know who for whatever reason either can't go or just has no desire to go uh but may enjoy watching a hunting show they might not have any desire to go hunting but they may enjoy watching other people so i get to share the experience with them and that's i mean that's the biggest thing Oh yeah, with me. You probably relate to this really uh, more than probably we can. But if a lot of people put hunting in this pedestal, almost like this glamour of being in the industry and the things you have to do. But a lot of people don't really look at what's behind the curtains, all the hard work, just the being in it. It having the ability to go hunt, you almost lose a little bit of the passion. You, it takes a little bit of an extra step to keep that passion and drive to let people enjoy what you're experiencing without trying to let them see all the mess that's involved with it because it is. It's hard to be in this industry and still keep something that you feel is true and passionate to you and relate that in a way through video or audio. Well, I, I feel like a lot of people don't, they think, oh, well, you just hunt for a living. And I'm not trying to <laughs> from the industry, but when uh, there's a lot of people that come to me, oh man, I could I could do that. And the one thing that I want to tell them, and it's not sounding egotistical or anything, but it's just that Saturday morning that you wake up and I'm going to go hunting this morning and you wake up and it's 
you know, 30 degrees, it's raining, the wind's blowing like mad, it's just not a good morning to go. I think I'm just going to roll over and, you know, stay under the covers. Well, nope. with us, there's, there is no, it's not a good morning to go out. When we get to a location and we're trying to film a show, we got a lot riding on. We, you know, we don't get paid unless we get the shows done. So it's all right. Well, it's going to be a bad morning, but we're going. <laughs> uh, obviously not going to go out if it's something like, you know, something dangerous or uh, risking getting the camera gear, you know, frying a $7,000, $8,000 camera. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's still, you, you got to go out there and do it and and get after them because that's what, that's what gets the shows done and that's what pays the bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's that, it's that you got to have that little bit of extra dedication to do it. And, and you know, like, and like I said, me having the passion for sharing this with everybody else, I think is what gets me out of bed on some of those mornings when it's just like, man, we've been hunting for 15 days straight and it's just not nothing's going our way but we got to get the show done because people are counting on us win or fail you got to do it that's (laughs) that's right you know i don't think people realize and and you you touched on something there and it's a side the when you flip on the tv and you flip on one of these channels and you start watching a hunt like you, you see every glamorous part of the hunt right and you even see the the parts that maybe aren't so glamorous, but the guys still laughing, having fun with it. Uh, you don't see the flip side. I, I'm, I mean, I was very fortunate enough that I, I got to go. Um, I, I went and helped out on one hunt and doing some filming, setting some tree stands uh, up in Missouri, actually. And it, and in comparison to kind of what a lot of these guys do, it was a short hunt. It was it was a five day hunt, which relatively, when you're talking show terms, can be kind of short. But the amount of work that we put in in five days, you know, I didn't, I never, I never shouldered a weapon. I never picked up a bow. I, I literally hung stands and filmed for five straight days. And, and, you know, I was, I was up at, you know, two 30 in the morning, making sure battery packs were set, making sure that gear was all set up, making sure the carts were ready, making sure that weapons were in the right place. And then at night, it was the same thing. Make sure all the battery packs were on the chargers, make sure all the camera gears was okay, running through all the tape and, and, and make sure every, everyone had, had the right tapes and the right, and the right packs. There is so much work that goes into it. And it's a side that, you know, 95% of the population never sees. So there's a, you are right. There's a whole different side of dedication just to be involved on the filming of, you know, a 30 minute show. There's a lot that goes into yeah. it, man. <laughs> right. Yeah, Forty yeah. hours into thirty minutes or twenty-eight minutes, actually. Yeah. I used to th- yeah, right. I, I used to think it was kind of funny that you, you'd see people, you know, thirty-minute show. They think, oh, you just walk out there and the deer walk up and you shoot him. It's like, <laughs> uh, that's what you, thought, but, you know, little did you know, I sat in that stand in that same chair for six days, mm-hmm. and. You, finally got him to come in and when it was all cut down and edited and everything else it came into a 30 minute show and i'll tell yep. you you gotta be friends with your cameraman because mm-hmm. um a lot of a lot of people think we're out you know having a good time which we are and everything but it, it's it's you and one other guy most of the time every now and then i had a, uh, i was in missouri a few weeks ago hunting the early bow season um didn't fill a tag but going back up there in a couple weeks but uh, 
the guy that was coming with me, the, his truck broke down on the way up there, and he was like, man, I'm not going to be able to make it. I said, well, I'm going to go see what I can do. So I was actually filming myself. Uh, That's tough. So that that added a whole other level of uh, challenge to it. I don't ever look at it, stuff like that as a problem. I look at it as a challenge. It's like, all right, mm-hmm. well, let's see if I can do this now. Yeah. Based on all the experiences and the hunting that you've been able to do, the topic that we're wanting to go on to, and this is a perfect time because we're getting right into the rut. There's a lot of movement going around all different areas. We want to kind of go into game calls because I feel like there's something new I can learn. And if, when I'm in the stand, and I'm pretty sure there's people that feel the same way, you want to know, well, should I go ahead and start calling early morning or in the evening? Or when should I call? How often should I call? What what kind of a sequence? Based on those tactics, I think I'd love to know what your take is on that you're willing to share on these type of skill sets that you maybe have adapted over the few years. Okay. Well, the first thing when it comes to calling, and this goes with calling, if you're calling deer, turkeys, elk, it doesn't matter. Uh yeah, the first thing to remember is you don't want to fall in love with your call. Don't fall in love with your call, or well, let me rephrase that. Don't fall in love with hearing yourself call. All right. <laughs> because, because that leads to you sitting there calling constantly. And break it down for a second. I mean, think about the times you've been sitting in a stand, you've been perfectly quiet. How many times have you heard a buck grunt? They're not constantly walking around grunting. They're, right. You know, the doe constantly walking around bleeding. It's a minimal amount of it's a minimal amount of communication between the animals, um, especially deer, you know, herd-bound animals or flock-bound animals like turkeys and deer and elk. They're they can see each other most of the time, so they're not having to call. Uh, now you mentioned you know getting into the rut. Yes, there there becomes a little bit more. Uh, vocalization of calls from the animals when you get into the rut, especially deer and elk, and you know, obviously turkeys in the spring with the goblin and everything. Uh, but I mean, you think about it like this time right now, where we're sitting at in the season, it's the almost the last weekend of October, and we're just getting on the first edge of it. So you might hear a few um, early estrus bleats from some does. And, you know, some young bucks kind of running around, kind of dogging does a little bit and uh, grunting them, trying to grunt them up a little. But we're still right at the beginning of it. Now, we get a couple weeks couple weeks in, uh, as far as we're talking about deer, we get a couple, couple more weeks in, and they're, they're going to be a little bit more vocal. But they're still, if you're sitting in the woods, you're not hearing them do it. Mm-hmm. So... You want to you want to time it, and I don't even want to say like to put a time limit on it. Uh, some people have to. I have to for myself, but some people don't have to. But just, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, with a grunt with a grunt call, I I don't use a grunt call as much until I can see the buck. Okay. If I'm both somewhere and I can see him, and I'm wanting to bring, I'm you know he comes out in the field, or I see him coming across a ridge, I'll grunt to him to try to get him to come over there uh, to investigate. But I'm not going to sit there and just grunt every 15 minutes for the entire time I'm sitting there. Uh, well, I guess. 
gets a little later in the morning, you know, let's say, you know, sunrise at seven o'clock, we're in the stand, you know, it gets on up to eight, we hadn't seen anything. I may try to do just a couple grunts in case there's something I can't see kind of moving through. Um, and then, you know, kind of entice them to come in. But I, I, I just personally, I think a lot of times what, what happens is unless you have, depending on which grunt call you're using, if you don't have the dominant buck there and you do this, this deep guttural long grunt, then if it's not the dominant buck, if he's already, if it's rut and he's been fighting and he's already had his butt whooped a couple times, he's not going to come over there to that. He's not going to want, you know, you get your butt whooped in the locker room one time for talking to one of the football, one of the linemen's girlfriend. Well, you're not going to want to go in the locker room if you hear him in there talking. Mm-hmm. Good idea. Good thought. And, 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 you know, jumping back to the front side of that, because, you know, <clears throat> one thing, we, we want to be able to give people the chance to, you know, go out and kind of research some of the stuff we talk about. The first thing you talked about was, you know, if you can see a deer, especially archery hunting is primarily when you do it. But when you can, when you can see a buck, then you, you use a grunt towards him. Uh, for, for the most part, people typically call that a contact grunt, right? Uh, usually, and that'll just be, I got a grunt call sitting right here. So that'll just be, so this is what I do. And like I said, it may not always be right, but what I'll do is if I see the buck coming, just a little, just that sequence right there, just to kind of get his attention. And then uh, what a, a good friend of mine who taught me a lot about calling, it was uh, mostly turkeys, but uh, Roscoe Reams, he was a very well known in the, in the turkey world a great caller and killed more turkeys than i'll probably ever kill in a lifetime and you know he was always you want to take the temperature of the bird or you want to take the temperature of the buck and you know see how responsive he is to it and and we do the same thing going a little bit further we do the same thing when we're duck hunting Mm-hmm. Uh, you get you get a group of ducks coming in. You always want you want to call to the one that wants to come into the hole the worst. Mm-hmm. One that wants to be in there the most. That's the one you call to because the rest of them will come with it. So a, a, a buck coming across a ridge, same thing. Um, see him. You make your contact grunt. Just and what you know, what's that? What's that really saying to the buck? I mean, I you know I don't. I, I don't talk that's buck. Just, I don't think it, box bucks are talk. But what is that signifying to that other deer? That's just kind of. I'm here. What are you doing over here? This is my area. Okay. You know, it, it's just kind of a. Hey man, what are you doing? You know, just we'll we'll go back to the um, to the locker uh, or bar room kind of thing. You know, somebody you know, guy sitting there. He sees you walking over talking to his girl, and he's like, Hey man, what are you doing? Like I'm here. And then, and then you're you not think, initiating a fight. You're just letting them know that hey, I'm around. Right. You're, yeah, you're just you know establishing establishing the contact, establishing the hey, I'm over here. So you if know. you get if you get a response from from that deer, you know you can get multiple responses. You can get the deer just turns straight away and goes. You can get the deer maybe keeps walking but flips its ears back, or it just dead stops and turns around and looks what's your next step I've seen, them do, I've seen them do everything from they hear that and they turn and tuck tail and run like <laughs> you just shot them <laughs> all the way, all the way to turn, coming in on a string like 
they wanted to be over there. They were coming over there wanting to fight and mm-hmm. blowing snot and hair raised up and everything else. You just never know. And that's where you come into the, let's take the temperature, so to speak. Let's take the temperature of the buck. Let's see, what is he wanting to do? And a lot of times, a lot of times, that's why I kind of make it a, a soft initial contact. Just okay. let me see what he's. Let me see what his response is. If he keeps walking like he doesn't care, maybe he didn't hear me. Something like that. Then we'll we'll hit it again. Maybe hit it a little bit louder. Uh, maybe drag one of the grunts out just a little bit more. You know, in a more dominant style. A little more uh, aggressive. Just well, how- be a little bit. Aggressive with him and see if you can make him do anything, get his attention. Let's say mm-hmm. you did do this and you did that sequence and you had nothing come from it. How long would you wait to do it again, thinking that maybe he didn't hear it or he's been occupied? Like, would you wait a few minutes? Would you do it immediately after? How frequent? Uh, those are some important questions. But if I can see the buck, then I'm going to do it immediately. Like, if I get okay. no response from him, at all, then I'm going to hit him again, maybe hit a little louder, be a little bit more aggressive with it. If I can't see the deer, then that's when you you kind of do that a little bit, and you'll do that same sequence, then maybe just add, like, uh, for example, a just a long grunt, and, and, and when you do that, you will also, just a footnote, remember they got, you know, they got lungs too, so they're you know they're not just sitting there blowing these long super long grunts mm-hmm. you know they run out of air too so if you're just sitting there doing long grunt after long grunt after long grunt that's not going to sound natural so just yeah. one maybe a little short tap at the end uh, that's if I can't see the deer or I may do that if I see him and he just gives me no like he just acts like I'm not even there I might do that. Either he didn't hear me, or if that is the dominant buck in the area, then he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. You I'm over here. At that point, you switch over to to something. You know, the, the the common term is well, if they're not looking to fight, they're looking to love. So do you switch over to something on the on the doe side or fawn side, trying to get him to pull in toward towards maybe that, that he's in that searching phase. A lot of times you can throw in when you're doing that. Uh, throw in like the little can bleats. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like those a lot just because they're consistent and unless you just foul up turning it over, you're going to get a good bleat out of it every time. It's not it's not like you're going to blow the call, so to speak. <laughs> I actually just bought one finally after years. I, I remember when I was hunting with uh, Sky a few times and I could hear in the background he, I believe you had one of these, and you oh, would yeah. toss one of these every few minutes in the early morning. And I'm like, I had one where I was using a uh, like a flex tone, and I could never get that sound from. It. I was like, how the heck is he doing this? And it was sounding so perfect. <laughs> and he's like, I got this can, a dough in a can. I'm like, oh jeez. And it's been years. I literally just last week picked one up. I finally just uh, dug in. I was like, fine, I'm just gonna buy one. <laughs> well, I. I now that you mentioned that, well, you know, let's backtrack just a little bit. When we're, when we're talking about making these calls, you want to – I carry around duck calls. I carry turkey calls. I carry grunt calls. All of that's in my truck. And if I'm going out of town or i got to ride a couple hours down the road or just, mm-hmm. you know, a grocery store or something like that, you know, if, if turkey season's coming up, you know, 
we're three, four weeks out, I'll pick up that mouth call and put it in and call and listen listen to myself in the truck riding down the road. You you know, you're you're not holding you're not taking your hands away or anything like that. We'll just call and listen to what it sounds like. Same thing with a grunt. You still got your hand on the wheel, turn the radio off. You know, everything that's on, you know, country radio, especially around Atlanta right now, they're playing the same thing over and over again anyway. And then just practice and hear yourself and listen to what you sound like in the truck cab and make sure that you're good with that call before you go out in the woods and do it. Um, sitting, in, sitting 15 feet up a tree is not the place to learn how to do a call. The the other really good thing about it, especially I mean you know land traffic the other really fun thing is when you finally you, you stop at one of the you know two million red lights you're gonna stop at when you pull a call up and, and on the duck side right you just start hammering away at a call just just <laughs> loud just hammering away at a comeback call with your windows open and you have every car like look at you like you're an idiot and you just look at them and just hammer away louder <laughs> but then you hear someone in the background recli- uh, replying back yeah right yeah <laughs> there's there, there's a, there's always more than one redneck on the stoplight so <laughs> that's right there's a lot more of the thing we just hide it well <laughs> i don't know i don't hide it too well <laughs> <laughs> but that's but i mean that's the biggest thing is practice these calls hear what you sound like you know take your yeah. phone everybody's got an iphone or a galaxy or something like that now so pull, pull your phone out and record yourself and play it back hear what it sounds like because that's mm-hmm. going to tell you what you're doing that's that's when you're going to hear what you're doing wrong and and then i mean you know you can take all the advice from me you want, but I'd say my advice would be if you're having trouble with a call, get one of those Primos tapes or get one of the, um, one of the guys that's, you know, that really, you know, was one of the starters of the, of the industry as far as the call side and listen to them kind of instruct because they'll tell you little tricks and stuff that you don't, that you can't figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that that helps and then and then take it from there take your basics and then expand on your own figure out what works for you yeah uh, i mean that's just like I said earlier a lot of this stuff that i talk about and a lot of the things that i tell people how to how to do stuff i mean that's what works for me so i don't ever say like this is the way to do it it's just say, a way to do it what works for me this is what i found works this is the results i've had from trying this and then you can try it and and one of y'all may take something I say tonight and go get in the stand and say, well, that didn't work, but I put a twist on it and shot this awesome buck. Oh, and I sure I hope I say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, now going into you know we we kind of tapped on the the buck side, but right now we are you know going in potentially in some areas the rut. Would you still portray and do a grunt car? Would you put more lean towards a um, a doe? Would you think that'd be a little bit more uh, effective at this time? And if so, like, how what type of sequence would you use with that? Well, right now, uh, this being still you know pre rut early season for a lot of mm-hmm. places, uh, the one of the one the one of the calls I like to use the early season can. It's just a simple. Uh, it's just a simple doe bleat, nothing fancy, and it's just more of a, you know, hey guys, I'm over here by myself. Where are y'all at? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of 
call. Um, now, well, I, I, I actually, I, do you have one on hand? Um, actually, I can do one. Give me two seconds. I'll just make sure I got this right. And it'd be oh, uh, cool. the early season. Early season bleach is gonna be something. Uh, uh, and that's really. Hey, I'm here. And that's really used primarily, uh, you know, not really fawns. That's used on the doe side as far as locating either locating where a fawn is or locating where, where other where other does are as they're kind of, you know, kind of the right. assembly yeah. side. Have, like, like what I've got in my hands right now is just is one of the three-way uh, doe bleat, young buck, mature buck, grunt calls. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you shorten it up and... That's you get a little higher pitch. That's more of a fawn size, and then you can stretch the neck out on it. Get a little bit more mature doe size. Mm-hmm. And, and this year they're doing that. That's just communication. Um, just hey, I'm over here. If it's a young fawn, it's you know maybe you know fell a little bit behind the group. Hey, I'm over here, guys. Wait on me. Let me catch up. You know, nothing distress or anything like that because you don't want to do. The does will come if you're trying to call does, and you do the fawn distress call. Then the does will come to it. Um, mm-hmm. It's not necessarily. I'm sure bucks will come to it. I'm sure people have had experiences where bucks have come to it, but that's not something that's in my. Uh, not your own experience. And and so you do that early season. That's just you know maybe if a deer's cruising through, mm-hmm. here's that might kind of ease over. But again. You know, think about sit back and think about all the times you sat in the woods and how many times have you heard that? Well, it's not going to be that often because they're trying yeah. to sneak through too. There's other there's pre- predators, coyotes with with young fawns, bobcats, um, stuff like that that will come to those calls. Mm-hmm. And you know they hear and they go, oh, well, there's you know that's the dinner bell. There's a fawn over there. <laughs> <laughs> So well, that you know, you know it, um, it's, it's, it's a uh, minimal minimal amount as far as what I'm going to do in the stand. I'm going to do it a minimal amount, maybe once every 20, 30 minutes, maybe once every 15, 20 minutes. But I try to stretch it out a little bit longer to 20, 30 minutes because I like being able to hear and uh, just see what's coming through. When, <laughs> when we're about deer, I, I want to see – because you're not going to do that and then hear a doe answer and say, oh, well, she's coming. Now, if we're turkey hunting, Different story. Bit, boy, <laughs> we're going to call and he gobbles, you know, on a, on a textbook-style day. We call, he gobbles, we know where he's at. You know, he's coming to us. All right, let's get set up. So you not you don't have that response mm-hmm. necessarily with a, with a deer calls. I'm getting long-winded, but that's just kind of a thing – Maybe just let me see if something happens. If not, I'm not going to spook everything in the woods with it. So to give kind of a little bit of context, because obviously we want everyone listening to, you know, walk away with something that maybe they can use or something they can, you know, talk about next time they're down deer camp and figure out, you know, something that you're in George, something that so many people run into is either a, you know, they're going off the rut map or the rut map and, you know, they're in their stand that entire week or for a couple of days and they just aren't seeing anything. You know, what's the sequence? Because at that point, we know we're probably, the, the rut map with the with the birthing rates and everything, 
we've got the rut pretty narrowed down. We should be close, you know, if you're going off of some of that. But you know the rut's going on. You know they're searching or you, you know that there's deer out there. What's the kind of sequence someone can use to maybe increase their chances of pulling that deer in that just may not be, you know, coming through where they're at, but running and searching for deer? Okay. Well, in that case, that's why I like the Primos cans is because mm-hmm. you can do the bleach without having to adjust your call. So, But w- what I would do, early rut, first couple of days of what the rut map is saying, not seeing anything. First thing I'm going to tell you is watch your moon phase because that moon phase, if you watch your moon phase and you're talking a rising moon, either at morning or evening, if you can get a rising moon, either it's coming up right at daylight or it's coming up just before dark, that's when you're going to see the most activity. Um then that's going to be the most activity regardless of whether now you get a monsoon comes through that kind of changes the game a little bit high winds are going to change the game a little bit but let's for the sake of what we're talking about now let's go with it's you know the perfect morning you know perfect evening perfect evening hunt we got a rising moon calm wind in our face just you know bluebird day everything is good deer are going to be moving we're just not seeing anything out of that stand then what i'll try to do sometimes and again this is you don't do this a whole lot you don't want that's where i come from when i'm saying don't fall in love with hearing yourself call and we'll come in and do a little series of doe bleats and then follow it up with short pending grunt nice and just a short sequence like that just enough to make get his attention but maybe he doesn't know exactly where it came from but if he's just over the ridge or maybe it's a buck bedded down you know a hundred yards away that we hadn't seen coming out of a thicket or maybe he's 50 yards behind us cruising the edge of a food plot something like that we can't see him but you do that, he goes, all right, there's a buck. That, that's telling him there's a buck on this hill that is what we call dog and a dove. Mm-hmm. And you would do them, you know, do them back to back, do the a little bit quicker than I did. Like I said, I had to adjust my call. but uh, and, and you can do it spaced out that far. But I like to hit the doe bleat, a couple pending grunts, maybe hit the doe bleat again, and then, and then sit quiet because if he's close enough, and like I said, we're not doing this loud. We're not doing it through a megaphone. You know, deer a couple hundred yards away may not hear that or may just faintly hear it and come over there and investigate. But you want to do that, put the call down, and be sitting there ready. Because if it's, you know, like we're going to be in a couple weeks, he hears that, he's coming over there looking. And he's going to have his nose to the ground. He's going to be smelling. He's going to probably be kind of tending grunt, wanting to know who is messing with my does. That's when, that's when to take it back to the, the bar metaphor, that's when we've gone past the, you know, we can't see him. It's a, so we're not saying, Hey, I'm over here. That's when he's trying to get laid (laughs) girlfriend laughing real loud over there. And, and then you hear a guy laugh right behind it and you go, wait a minute, who's she talking to? Let me go over. I'm going to go over and see what's going on. And you walk over there and you're bucked up ready for a fight. That's what that that's what that buck's going to be doing when he hears that series of calls. Now, 
let's say you know they're around and you happen to see them. Usually mm-hmm. the, the calls, especially like the flex tones or so, the direction that you are blowing through, would you prefer them to be directing towards them or would you rather be like more behind you so they don't seem like it's right where you're at, but almost like it's behind you so that it's drawing them away? Like what is your perspective on that? I mean, you can do that several different ways. You can do it where you're blowing the calls and kind of, I mean, with with like the flex tones like you mentioned and the the Woodhaven calls, which are the ones that I like to use. Um, you can you can this got you can move the neck on them so you change the direction and that makes it sound a little bit more natural. <laughs> Excuse me, makes it sound a little more natural, like a buck walking through the woods turning his head as he's doing it as well. But do you think that has any effect on if you did it directly pointing towards them versus if you happen to move it away, not really in ear uh, position, but kind of echoing around? If, uh, example, if I'm sitting there with a bow and he's 60 or 70 yards out and I'm trying to get him into that bow range, and then, yeah, I may blow a couple of grunts in his direction and then kind of turn the call and blow over to the side of me. And then as he comes in, if he stops or something and I need him to come, let's say he's 70 yards and I do that and he runs up to 50, but for whatever reason, I'm not comfortable shooting 50 yards with my bow, you know, in that setup, maybe there's some limbs in the way I need him to come a little bit closer. Then I can turn the call and call behind me like that. And it sound, it'll sound like it's further away to him. So that might get him in those extra, extra few yards. But no, if he's out 70, 100, 150 yards or something like that, call straight to him because that that's getting the volume out there to him. He's going to hear it. He's going to come in that direction. He's going to be looking. He's going to be looking for movement. He's going to be looking for other deer. And, and and deer don't matter. I mean, they don't, depending on where you hunt, in, but we'll say in Georgia, the deer don't have uh, like a tree climbing cat predator. So they're you know, short of a fawn, you know, a bobcat taking out a fawn. So if, if you do that, they're, they're not going to be looking up in the tree. He's going to be looking for that buck. You're going to have his mind somewhere else. He's not going to be worth about you 15, 20 feet up a tree. So doing that, that, that kind of guarantees you he hears it. And then as he gets in closer, then we can kind of walk the call back and forth, you know, turn the tube where we call behind us and that, may get him to come in that extra, you know, 15, 20 yards to where you can get a good broadside shot on him. Well, you know, Grunt, so, so kind of the two things we talked about have been really been, you know, um, vocalizations on the grunt side and vocalizations on the, the doe and fawn side with, with bleats. Um, mm-hmm. Another big vocalization that grunts really do, and it's something that not a lot of people have, you know, actually heard as hunters in the woods, is the snort wheeze what's the rhyme and reason behind that? And is there a time specifically you really use that? Yeah, that, that, the snort wheeze, and I was just fixing to get on that. I was, I was kind of actually, the snort wheeze, and that's a, that's a call that I don't remember ever hearing about until, you know, I was 16, 17 years old. And start hearing about people talking about a deer snort wheeze, and I'm like, "What are y'all talking about?" Like, I've never heard a deer do this, and you know, it's just one of those things. Somebody was in the right place at the right time, heard it, tried it on a couple of deer, and it worked. But mm-hmm. that snort, that snort wheeze, and we've been using the you know hanging out at the bar, or the club metaphor. 
that snort wheeze is when you finally say, I'm about to whoop you and throw you out on the park. And it sounds, and you can, a lot of people can do it with their mouth. I can do it with just straight mouth. There's just a, and that call, when you, when you got a mature buck coming in and you see him, I won't use that call unless I can see him. A lot of people, uh, and, uh, and like I said, it's different for a lot of people, but that call is when I need that buck to come in. He's 100 yards on the other side of the field, and he is just not responding to anything. I'm going to give him a snort wheeze, a couple of grunts, and a snort wheeze, and that's saying I'm about I'm about to beat the crap out of you. And right. so, so that's, and that, that's you're just, slapping like, him in the face like, like you want to fight. Let's go. Say that one more time. So you're basically slapping the deer in the face, saying, "I'm going to fight." Pretty much, and that's mm-hmm. when that's when you get that's when you get him to come in, hair raised, blowing snot, ready to, ready to go, and he's going to be looking for a fight, and he's going to come in, and he's going to come in close because he hears where that call comes from, and he's going to come in there, he's going to come in there ready. So especially for a bow hunter, that is that is a call to keep in your back pocket, and. And they make they make tubes that make it easier to do it if you can't do it just straight mouth, and then it also helps you get a little bit more volume out of it. Mm-hmm. You can do do that, and that's exactly like you said. That's slapping him in the face, saying, "Come on, let's go, big boy." I think I've heard someone once say that, or either I watched it on a video. I can't remember, but they the technique that they used it for was that the the buck was actually leaving. And they did that, which made them go to a direct stop, turned around, and came back. So uh, they were using it almost as like a last resort because the the doe or the buck was gone. It was going to leave. And it was going after a doe. Didn't really care anything about around him. He tried every type of thing, and it just happened to throw that out there, and then boom, it changed the game. Right, and that, and that's why I say it's kind of a back pocket call. Okay, hell mary. <laughs> right, that's it's kind of the hell mary. If it if it if it is a true mature buck probably dominant in the area he may not respond to the other guttural grunts tending grunts and stuff like that he's like look i know all these does i know which ones are ready i've got the one i want right here in front of me or i know where she's at she's bedded down over here i'm not worried about you i'm not worried you know i'm not worried about you letting me know you're there i'm not worried about you messing around with one of these other does because i'm i'm set but then when you do that, that's, you know, that's walking up and slapping him in the face and saying, no, I'm ready. I'm about to take you down. And that a lot of times in the right situation and that, and that call is, is when a buck is hot. And, and that's going to exactly like you said, a game changer that may get him to turn around and come back. Cause it's kind of, you know, I keep using the same metaphor, but you know, go back, oh, I ain't worried about you, and then I turn around and go to, you know, walk across the dance floor or something like that, and then you say something smart to my back. <laughs> All right, fine. You aren't going to let me walk off? Fine. I'm going to come over here and handle this. And and so that is that is a good call that can, can be a game changer when used correctly. What about um, so- age po- uh, posturing? As in, you know, in your property, there's probably two or three or four bucks, let's just say, running around. But the oldest one is maybe less than two years old. How would would you still use those type of techniques in knowing that the oldest one, 
the dominant one is still a fairly young buck. Would that still play in the same role? They do they? Would you think they still kind of know that? Hey, I'm the dominant one, and still take action from that. Right. Well, I mean, you look at that like you got a piece of property. Let's say we got a thousand acres, and we got a bunch of young bucks on there. You know, three and a half, two and a half, year and a half old bucks. Well, that you may have a dominant three and a half year old buck because you look at it. I like using people for examples. You know, understanding animals. Uh, you get a group of high schoolers in the Walmart parking lot. Well, you know, the kid's only 16 years old, but, you know, he's the big man on campus at the high school. So that's who everybody's afraid of, or that's who everybody's, you know, intimidated by. Uh, now you go into, you go, go somewhere else and you know that's a hang out for 20 and 30 year olds well you might have a 30 yeah you see where i'm going with that yeah, oh, yeah. older you got an older guy that's the the kind of the the ring leader so to speak well it's the same thing with deer if we got a big group of young bucks then you might have a younger buck that's dominant and that's not to say that you might have a five and a half six and a half year old buck that's not the dominant buck um, it's just it, that you get into you're kind of getting into a little bit of the genetics there, um, and just because he has the biggest rack does not always mean he's the dominant buck either. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of getting into you can go a lot of different ways with this. You can have a two and a half if, if you're on a small piece of property and there's just a couple of bucks there. You can have a two and a half, three and a half year old deer that is the boss deer. You get on a larger piece of property, maybe one that's more populated with older deer then you might have a four and a half five six year old deer that that's that's the dude you know that's that's the big man well you know you're you're really hunting kind of all over the place right you've talked about a couple different places midwest and and, and down to new mexico obviously i'm, I'm assuming you hunt georgia um mm-hmm. but those deer are all you know just by nature whether they're one two three all the way up to you know seven eight years old they're different body sizes. You get out, you get to, to Missouri, um, and it's just a bigger deer, you know, and maybe a deer up there that's, you know, two and a half is most of the time for the most part, you know, other than maybe some South Georgia stuff is a bigger deer than what we typically see here in Georgia. How does your tone and volume change when you're hunting that different body size deer? It'll be the same. Uh, you go to you go to Texas and they got they got big racks but they're long legged skinny deer. Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna you're gonna do the same thing. You we go up to Saskatchewan, which I've never been there, but I want to go because I got some really big deer. Yeah. You go to Saskatchewan, it's a 350 pound deer, but the God. but the words are the same. Right. So do you do you not see a deeper tone out of a bigger bodied deer than you do with a small oh. with a smaller deer? You may, and, and you just have to take that into account where you're hunting. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not going to be. It's still, you know, he's 350 pounds because oh, he's built up more muscle. He's built up a big layer of fat because he's got to fight through a cold winter. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the same deer, the physiology of the deer is the same. The the, the esophagus and everything, yeah. Yeah, your esophagus, your lungs, all that stuff is going to be pretty close. Mm-hmm. So. So it's still going to have the same, same tones out of it. Oh, you get into a you know full grown deer that you know, it's going to be pretty close. You know, going back into into call the call side of it, right? So <laughs> talking about the does and, and bucks and the the non aggressive calls, and then we kind of go into you know snort wheeze and being a little bit more aggressive with your grunts on that side. 
there, there's a whole other side. You know, once we get away from the vocalization, vo- wow. once we get away from the vocalization side, and it's you know rattling. You know, antlers they they have them, they use them, and it's everything from non-aggressive to aggressive. What's kind of that that flow between non-aggressive to aggressive when you're rattling? Okay. Well, I wish I had a, my rattle bag or my antlers with me, but I don't have them right here, so we're not. Gonna- we're not going to get any examples, but I can kind of hopefully walk you through it. Um, basically, like early season, like right now, if you were to go hunt tomorrow, maybe if you, you know, if you wanted to try it, maybe a few small picks or whatever, not anything real loud. The big bucks still, they know that the big mature bucks, they know that it's going to be, you know, another week or two before it gets right. So we're not worried about it. Uh, the younger bucks will kind of start fighting a little bit. And, and, and you know, I mean, you look at it, uh, two smaller bucks isn't going to make as big a racket. They're just kind of more playing around, sparring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you when you get into it, uh, the, the fights don't usually last a very long time, um, maybe 15, 20 seconds. So when, when you actually do it and you get in it's the middle of the rut, all right, you know, they're chasing – we're going to do some fighting and try to make something happen. So you start banging, banging them together. You get, you know, a good bang together, work the antlers. If you're using real antlers with a bag, um, either way, you know, slap them together, roll them around a little bit, make some picking. Uh, one of the tricks is a lot of times I like, if I'm going to be rattling, I like sitting on the ground where I got brush and I'll take the horns and, and scrape the brush around me and scrape the leaves and sound like, you know, they're kicking dirt and everything because they're not just banging horns together, standing in one spot. They're kicking up dirt and they're running through bushes. And Would that still be effective in a tree stand? It'll still be, still be effective in a tree stand. I just personally like to get on the ground and do it because then I can rake the bushes and I can rake the ground and give it that extra... Uh, Realisticness. Extra sliding or one of them pushing each other around on the ground making a lot of racket and uh and still have that antler sound uh mixed in with it would you be doing any type of intermittent grunting at the same time yeah when i when i go into the rattling i may grunt a little bit right before just a couple little short kind of testing grunts and then but basically if i'm gonna pull out the rattle bag and make all that racket they're not i'm going or or with the with the real antlers, I like using real antlers, and that's you know, and like I said, that's why I sit on the ground a lot of times when I do this. But do it, use the real antlers. It's going to sound like real antlers, and then you can rake everything else. And when I, if I'm doing that, I'm not worried about a grunt. And mm-hmm. that's just maybe hit a little around then, um, but once you start doing that, you're you're getting into a whole new uh, realm, it's a kind of a realm of surprise and and more uh, curiosity. What time of days are most appropriate? Like during the day, should you rattle and when you shouldn't? Uh, well, I think what I like to do is I, I I'm one of those. Like I said, I I don't I don't call a lot. I I try to call when it's appropriate. So maybe in the early mornings, a couple of you know, grunts, maybe some bleats and stuff like that. We kind of keep it calm, let the deer do what they're going to do. When we get up later in the morning, get up toward lunchtime, then, all right, you know, maybe they've gone to bed. You know, you don't know, really know what's going on. It's, you're kind of 
sitting there bored. So it gives you a little bit of something to do to keep you entertained, keep you in the stand longer. And then you're not, you're not risking spooking something. If you go in there and you're right at daylight and you start doing that, you know, you may have a buck right there on top of you that you can't see or didn't realize was there and it may spook him. Uh, so I like to wait, up, wait a little later in the morning or, and then do it earlier in the afternoon. Uh, but you can do it and in the afternoon. You can pretty much do it right up till dark. So you're thinking like you do it around between 11 to 12, then stop and then start up again, maybe around four till seven before it gets dark kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you want to put a time on it, but and like I said, you you want to take really take the temperature of the property that you're on. Um, if you're seeing a lot of chasing, maybe you heard some fighting or witnessed some fighting or something like that, then you know you may want to do it. You know, like I said, we get up there, we've been sitting there a couple hours, and it's good daylight and everything. Hadn't really seen anything moving. All right, let's try to make something happen. Yeah. Um, if you uh, just sit in the stand. And trust me, I've been here many times. I, I just cannot sit here any longer. I've got to go do something. We either got to go eat lunch or let's go back, take a nap, something like that. Sometimes that's a good time to do it. And let's, let's try it because a lot of times when, when it happens with that, it happens fast. Um, and when I say fast, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, do it. Like I said, make just as much racket as you can make it sound like you know the apocalypse is coming and the deer are going crazy and and this is like i said during the rut make it sound like it's going crazy rake the leaves rake the trees rake the bushes rake the ground and then once you finish you know 15 20 maybe 30 seconds of it set it down and be sitting there waiting because if a buck comes over there to investigate he's going to be coming he's in coming there. He's going to come in there. He's going to run right up there, and he's going to be looking for those two bucks fighting. And, and, and with the rattling, too, uh, another little footnote. Uh, it, a lot of times it depends on where you are. Uh, different regions have different responses. I know Texas, Midwest, stuff like that, it's worked a lot better for me there. As far as rattling in Georgia, haven't had as much luck with it. Um, I seem to hear that a lot, actually. One, the mm-hmm. terrain is a lot different. And then, and then two, uh, down here in the southeast in Georgia, we've got so many deer. They're just the, the, the calls and rattling and stuff like that just really don't have as much an effect. And that's not saying they won't work, but they just don't have as much an effect because there's, there's a plenty, there's plenty of does, there's plenty of bucks, and it's like, who cares? There's not much competition by any means. Now you get out, and like I said, there's not any less deer out in Texas, but they're, you know, they're, maybe they're spread out. Maybe the terrain has something to do with it. They can see better or not see as good or something. I, I haven't exactly figured out in my personal experience exactly what it is, but. I know what it is. Everything's bigger in Texas. Exactly. Yeah. In the same form of how they act. <laughs> Are you there? No, I think we lost them. Yeah, we did. All right, let's um, let me give him a call back again. Okay. That was so weird. As you said, end up voice message system. Yeah, you could you could hear his phone his phone uh, beeping at him. Yeah. Dang it. All right. Well. Um. Okay. This is the spot that we lost connection with Travis, and uh, when we didn't think that he was going to come back on, Scott 
happened to get off and end the conversation altogether, I received a text message from Travis saying to use a specific number that wasn't his, I guess it was a buddy of his. So we, I was able to call back, got Travis back on to finish up the episode, but unfortunately I was not able to bring back on Scott because he was out of range on his cell phone. This is the enjoyment of technology, but here's the rest of the episode. Enjoy. Hey man, sorry. I guess you, your battery died. Yeah, well, my ba- my battery died. It was sitting here plugged in, but apparently the uh, cord wasn't plugged in good or something. So it died and wanted to take forever to charge up. So luckily, a buddy of mine was sitting here, and we got mine charged up enough to text you that. So now we're now we're good. We got seventy percent, so we are be all right. Honestly, I'm I'm really happy that you were willing to come on and share some of the the things that you've done. And especially get into the techniques because a lot of people, even now, I mean, I've been doing some grunts. I've been doing some rattling. I've been doing some uh, bleats and I've changed it up a little bit. This is now the first time I'm doing the, the, uh, Primos, uh, Donacan, the estrus call. Mm-hmm. But, and so it's going to be exciting, but every year I always feel like when I get out in the stand, I have that inclination of like, am I going to do this correctly? Should I do this now? Should I not do this now? And well, that's, that's the biggest thing. And that, and that's what I was going to get into. You know, when we kind of started wrapping up, I had it in the back of my head to remember to say this. Basically, the last thing that I can leave you with as far as calls and, and I mean, and this is just hunting in general, but especially with your calls, because like you've said, you know, you, you get that last minute of doubt in yourself. You know, when you go to do it, the biggest thing that you can do is have confidence in your call. If you have confidence in your call, that's what makes great game callers great is they're confident that they're doing it right. They know that when they blow the call or they strike the slate or hit the box, whatever it may be, they know it's going to make the sound they want it to. Do we have slip ups every now and then? Yeah, you know, turkey hunting, you get get a little moisture on your call when it slips and makes a bad call. You know, stuff like that happens. Oh, yeah. But when you go to start the call, is have the confidence in the call. And it, and it, and that can go into any aspect of hunting when you hang a stand. Hang it and have confidence in that spot. Hang, you know, when you draw your bow back and you're about to make the shot, have the confidence in yourself that you're going to make that shot because that last second of doubt is what will screw you up nine times out of 10 more than anything else. If you question yourself and I, I've done this, I did this two weeks ago when I was in Dalhart, Texas on antelope hunt. You'll be able to see that show um, next year. This is my first antelope hunt. I got on one. I'm shooting a Bergara 270, the rifle, no problem. Uh, taking a 225 yard shot myself i've taken you know 350 and 375 yard shots before i know i can do it but just as i was tightening down the trigger i had a second of doubt in myself just because i wasn't 100 percent confident in the situation i was holding a decoy i was holding a set of shooting sticks there's a cameraman behind my shoulder the wind was blowing there was a couple other antelope out there that were kind of nervous just everything. I had that second of doubt, and I didn't pull the trigger because when I once I had that second of doubt, I said I got to start over and come back at this a different way with a little bit more confidence, knowing that I'm going to get this done. Because once I hit that doubt, I started shaking. I was nervous, and I just kept over and over again. Am, am I going to make this shot? Am I steady enough? 
it's the same thing with the calls. When you put the grunt tube to your lips, have confidence in the call. Have confidence in yourself. And you can take that. I mean, I know we're talking about hunting and game calls, but you can take have confidence in yourself in every aspect of everything that you do. That's a, that's a good way. It's a really good, uh, I guess you would say, an affirmation to walk in so they can, you know, if they're going through, that's a really good way to start the day. Yeah, if you and when you when you when you get in the stand that morning, just have confidence that you're taking the knowledge. And I, I hope that anybody who listened to this tonight, you know, maybe learned something from me. If not, they just you know had a good time listening. But just have the knowledge. You know, take your knowledge, what you've learned, what you've experienced, put that in to the confidence pile, and say, all right. And and this is regardless of experience level, as well. Just but. You know, if it's your first time hunting or your thousandth time hunting, get in the stand, have confidence in yourself that you're going to do what somebody else may have taught you, what you've learned on your own, and just get out there and do it. And when you do it, then it comes, it all comes together. When you start questioning yourself, that's when things kind of fall apart. Let's say people want to know that uh, they want to follow you, they want to reach out to you, just get to know more about who you are. What is the best way they can do that? All right, uh, I've got a Instagram account. It's Travis Johnson underscore three sixty five on the Instagram, uh, Facebook Travis Johnson's Outdoors, website Travis Johnson's Outdoors dot com. Uh, television shows are O'Neill Outside dot com. That's you get get you to that page. O'Neill Outside's on the Pursuit Channel. We're on Fox Sports Southeast, or however. The, I know they changed the acronym this year, and I hadn't quite caught back on to which one it is. Fox South or something. Yeah, I think it's Fox South. I think I see there's uh, South Fox Sports Southeast. Spox, Fox uh, Sports Fox Southeast. Sports Sun. I'm not really sure what Sun is. We are of uh, Sun. Sun is the uh, Fox Sports Sun, which is just in Florida. We're on that network. Okay. We're on Fox Sports Arizona. We're on Fox Sports Chicago. So we're on all those uh, nice uh, all those regional Fox networks. So that's where you can find O'Neill outside. You can also go to the Bucket List Outdoors Show dot com. That's uh, the newest show that I'm on. We're actually filming this year. I'll be the new co-host on the show airing next year. Uh, it's on the Sportsman's Channel. Uh, Very nice. And I tell you, you know, anybody listening, we got a lot of cool stuff going on. Uh, myself, I've got a lot of awesome hunts going. Jerry, the host of the bucket list, he's actually in Saskatchewan right now. Hopefully, you know, he hadn't tagged one yet, but hopefully he gets the awesome buck up there. Um, O'Neill's got some good hunts planned. Like I said, we got New Mexico elk. We got some Kansas whitetails. We got Missouri whitetails, Texas antelope, um, Texas whitetails. I don't know if I already said that one. Um, and then hopefully coming this spring, we may, if I can get everybody on board, or we're going to try to do a grand slam with a bow. Oh, wow. Uh, I, did it, I did it with a shotgun a couple of years ago. Hopefully, if I can get everything right, I'm, I want to try to do it again. If not this year, then I'll do it. definitely do it the next. Um, but I want to get the grand slam in a season with a bow. So we're going to have some good turkey hunts. Uh, if you follow Neil outside, we got great uh, outdoor cooking recipes for big green egg. And, um, I mean, man, we just, we got it all. Uh, we got it all going on. Anybody, you know, feel free to shoot me messages on the Facebook. That's uh, Travis Johnson's Outdoors Facebook page. You know, shoot me messages with questions. I try to answer everybody. I apologize if it takes me a minute to get to them sometimes, but I try to answer. And I, I mean, it's just good to hear 
hear from the fans, you know, see the pictures and hear the comments that we're doing a good job and, you know, and swap stories and meet people and everything. You know, that's what this is all, all about when it, you know, you really get right down to it. So absolutely. Well, Travis, thanks again. I do appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Uh, hey man, I enjoyed it. Sorry. My phone died, but not a problem. I had to do it. Right now, what I got in my hand is the Primos hunting the original Estrus Blitz in a can. Hope to God it's going to work for me. This is the first time I've ever purchased it after years of hearing people use them and have been successful. Travis Johnson himself even says he uses them and it seems to work very well. So this is my first year in the field. I'm going to test it out and I hope that this will be something different than what I've been doing in the past and we'll see how it goes. I'm very happy that Travis was able to come on and demonstrate a few techniques on doing types of calls that might be successful for anyone that might be listening. And if you happen to like this episode, I'd appreciate if you could take the time. I know it's not the easiest, but if you can go to mybowrush.com forward slash iTunes, it'll take you right to the iTunes page, and there you'll be able to leave a review about the show. We are hoping for the best comments possible. We love hearing what you have to say. It just makes our show even better. Everyone that has taken the time, I do appreciate that. Thank you so much. It means a lot to us. We're also trying to build up our social reach, and our audio is probably our best reach for people currently because we do have a nice download rate. It's between seven to 10,000 downloads a month and I'm very happy about that. We want to start pushing ourselves into social and to do that, we need to have the followers. I know this might take some time for some people, but even if it's just a moment of your day, if you could go to mybowrush.com forward slash follow us, it'll give you links to each of the social accounts that we are actively on. There's another new addition that we've added to the website. If you happen to be on the website listening to this, at the very top, there is a donate button. Now, we haven't in the last three seasons asked or requested any type of donations. And the reason is because we've been wanting to build trust. No, but seriously, we do have a donate page. And if you could take a look at it, and if it's something that you feel that you are able to contribute, I would greatly appreciate it because the costs are starting to go up and any little amount that you can provide goes a long way. So just take a look. If you have a chance, that would be appreciative. We have other news. In the last three seasons, we've been requested by many times that when we're going to have apparel, anything that might be a hat, a shirt, something that has our logo and branding because they wanted to support us. And believe me, we've been trying to find a design and as well as a producer that can create these things for us at a reasonable rate. Well, one of the things that we did not like is the idea of bulk buying because we're not sure who would want these and we didn't want to buy an extensive amount of these shirts or hats and not have anybody buy them. We were able to work with a local producer. The guy is willing to do a spot on on-demand purchase. So once something is purchased, he will do a print and he will ship it out. Right now we're going to do shirts and we're going to have different sizes. So it doesn't really matter what size you need. If it's a shirt that you want, we'll have designs and you can choose the size you need and then also the style of the shirt and we'll have that shipped out right to you. So I'm pretty excited about that. We're going to have some more information about that on our website so you can take a look. And if there's something you want to help support with that, that would be awesome. 
So we have a lot of stuff going on towards the end of the season and we're really pushing for a better show next year. We had a lot of things that we wanted to achieve in season three. Unfortunately, things did not happen out as way we planned, but that's life. That is what happens when you have things that are called responsibilities. And the show means a whole lot to us, but we do have families. We do have things that we have to achieve to make sure that other parts of our life are taken care of. This show happens to be something that we put a lot of time and passion into, but some of the things that we set to do this season did not happen. But we are going to push for that for next season. And I'm really excited because I feel like we are getting close to be able to achieve that and provide you more things that I think that you want to see. Things that I'm not just guessing, things that people have requested. So I'm really happy about that. I'm excited to see how this season ends in the field. I've already gotten two deer down. Unfortunately, Scott has not, but you know we got a few more, about two months left, and we'll see how that goes. Anyone that's getting out in the field this weekend, good luck. Hope you fill your freezer and take care. I'm Travis Stowe, the host of the Bowers Podcast. I'm out of here.